lack of time is crucial, but I don't know if it's, I don't know how much of it's this, oh, it's lack of time because all these people need to be seen. And so we just have to work, 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 work to get them all in. Or how much of it is just like, well, our reimbursement also happens to be per patient that we see, not how well, not how healthy we, we help them stay. And there's reimbursement tied to procedures and there's reimbursement tied to not so much to, to outcomes, but to just doing things. And that works really well for the companies that make the pills and that make the procedures. And it's just, it's the model that we work in. And so by seeing, you know, four patients in a day instead of 14, that's 10 patients that didn't get to be seen at all. And, and they may be suffering. So there's that, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me because I didn't see them today. But, you know, if you do a better job for those four patients, you might not need to see them as frequently and they're not going to have as many of the same illnesses or their illnesses are going to be better and they're going to skip the procedures and I'm not able to to work these algorithms uh, uh, completely but this but theor- being theoretical about it I think the needs will be met if we make the time about make the visit about quality and less about just seeing a whole bunch of patients in a small amount of time. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this podcast started from a desire to share stories of purpose, but also to spread the message that living a more vibrant life is within reach for all right now. It could be what you put on your plate today. It could be the mental nutrition that you entertain, or it could be cleaning out a closet. A vibrant life is full spectrum. It's not just one thing, and there are no shortcuts, but as good habits become the norm, a healthy lifestyle becomes effortless. At least that's what we have found, and perhaps our guest today will agree. Dr. Jeffrey Pierce is a board-certified family physician who uses diet and lifestyle choices to guide his patients to a longer and healthier life. He is a part of the esteemed community of docs that comprise the plant-based telehealth team and currently is seeing patients both in person and online from his home base in Northern California. He believes that with the right information and motivation that people can get to the root cause of their dis-ease and heal themselves, which I believe is a sign of a brilliant doctor who is focused on healing the whole person and empowering them as a part of his process. We've been looking forward to this interview. Dr. Pierce, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to be able to read that intro and, and um, you know, to, to be sharing uh, the story of somebody who really is looking at healthcare from a place of healing, you know, healing the whole being. And I can't remember, oh man, I can't remember her name. Um, I'll probably remember it by the end of the podcast. Oh, Gerson. The, uh, many, many years ago, uh, I think is this documentary called like the Gerson method or the Gerson effect. And it was this whole juicing thing. I was living back East, but it was this whole, like, if you have cancer or whatever, you go to this clinic in San Diego and it's like you juice, you're put on a raw, you know, you're healing yourself with food and, and mindfulness practices and things like that. That's beside the point. But what I took away from that, which I have never forgotten is she says, her name is Charlotte Gerson. That's it. And she said, you know, when one thing heals, everything heals. And I, and I don't know if you agree with that, but also I kind of flip that. And I think if one thing is off balance, 
you know, we're completely off balance. That, you know, as somebody, I was a massage therapist for a long time, so I studied the structure of the body. And what I learned is like, we're all just one big piece, you know, that that thing in your ankle could actually be your right shoulder. Um, and so I guess that's my first question is asking you, you know, from this perspective of healing, have you seen that, that other things will heal as the, the, um, as the object of, uh, your focus is healing? Yeah, that's a great question and a great, uh, thing to start off with. I learned in medical school a lot about individual conditions and individual diseases. And we were taught to, you know, give this medicine for that and the other medicine for this other thing. And they were fairly disconnected. And the more I've done the more I've practiced medicine and the more I've learned about lifestyle medicine and how what we eat and how we move and how we sleep and how we think and the community that we have around us, um, the more I've learned how these processes are so interconnected. And um, one way that that was driven home was when we have, when we work inside the hospital doing rounds on patients that have been hospitalized we start off their one-liner or their sentence that sort of says, you know, 47-year-old man who's here with diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and heart disease. And we just sort of kept hearing that over and over and over again with the different patients. And, and it wasn't just that these people happened to have the bad luck or the bad genes that they had these four or five things in common. It's that what they were doing um, with their with their day-to-day uh, was uh, creating this cascade that led to multiple manifestations of the same thing, which is uh, my old mentor mm-hmm. used to say fire in the fire in the arteries, which is this this, this uh, level of uh, chronic inflammation um, is a phrase that you hear a lot or just damage on so many levels that affect uh, so many different processes in the body and what I think a big reason why we are not seeing the outcomes in modern medicine for chronic illness that we wish we were is that I will treat diabetes and expect the diabetes to get better, but maybe isn't, I'm not focusing on everything else. Or you get a stent to open up a uh, artery around your heart, not really realizing, of course, that all of the arteries in your body have been affected by these same processes. And so we do have to think about the whole creature, the whole person, the whole organism, and figure out how to not just fix one artery, but to fix them all with what we do and how we live. Mm. When you were in medical school, and I want to get into your backstory too, um, that journey that brought you here, but when you were in medical school, was any of that like not connecting fully for you? You know, this um, almost... um, like this isolation of, you know, this disease, this disease. Did you feel that innately that there was a disconnect? Um, I was mostly ignorant to it, to tell you the truth, to be mm-hmm. totally honest. I mean, I, I wanted to do well in my classes. I wanted to, you know, make the grade and, and get the marks and make my, you know, teachers happy and, and all that kind of stuff. And so when we were learning about high blood pressure, I focused on high blood pressure and learned the things that you were supposed to memorize and, and how to treat it and whatnot. 
but I, I, you're, I was so in just totally um, wrapped up in the way that it was presented to me that this was the only way that it could be. And this is the, you know, there's a bunch of smart people who are teaching me this and this paradigm must be the way, the best way. And, um, we had some exposure. Uh, I took an elective, I remember in complementary and alternative medicine is what it was called and hearing some things like, Oh, well, you know, acupuncture can do this and homeopathy can do this. And so I was starting to realize that there are other ways to go about um, them, but I didn't really see the unification of all of these processes, um, until I'd been out in practice until I'd been learning more about lifestyle medicine. Um, Dean Ornish says it really well in his latest book, um, Undo It, where he he says, you know, look, it turns out that it all boils down to eat well, move more, stress less, and love more. And that sort of very simplistic, um, you know, one-liner can uh, encompass so much of how we can heal so many of these uh, sometimes appearing separate conditions, heal them all at once. And doesn't that plant the seeds to that there's something more than just what you read and what you um, learn and memorize? Doesn't it, doesn't it encourage us as, as a you know, human race that you know, love does play a part in this? So how can I love more? right? You don't read a book. Okay. How do I love more? It's like, you got to go out and experience like, what is it like to meet that person that really fires you up inside and how can you meet them with love? And so it's through experience. And it sounds like what you did the memorization, the, the education, you actually had to experience this with more and more uh, clients to understand that it, it, it evolves into something, something bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some of that had to do with, um, you know, I was uh, born and raised in Texas and and did this pretty traditional um, medical model. And then I came out to Northern California, which is different in some ways, uh, for those of you who've been in Texas and in Northern California, um, a little more open to some of these, uh, you know, uh, different approaches. Um, and if you had told me when I was in the middle of medical school that, you know, there were studies that showed that hate and anger are tied to heart disease and mortality and that love can be uh, tied to living healthier and having better control of your diabetes, you know, I'd say this is yeah, it's a little bit crazy. You know, it's, it's not something that I uh, had all been exposed to uh, to that degree. But now, as I realize how absolutely complex the body is and how sort of foolish we are to think that this one changing, this one pathway, quote-unquote, with a medicine is going to just do what we think it's going to do, um, the body is just extremely complex, um, more so than we'll ever fully understand. Um, and so we just need to walk around the world with our eyes open and our ears open to uh, think of all these different possibilities. Yeah, I think, well, we grew up in New England and, and, and very set in the ways of, of the patterns there. And, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking for myself, just moving somewhere else, mm-hmm. literally just opened my eyes. We moved to Colorado, like Boulder, and it was like, Oh my goodness. And then we moved back east and we had an appreciation. We had a more understanding of like, well, this isn't how it has to be. This is just what this area has 
has joined in together on as their belief system. And then we moved to California and then it was like <laughs> blew everything up in terms of like what is possible and what you, you can do and what you can't do. And like, um, but I just, I feel it's a really important piece to, to move and get out and experience different um, communities and lifestyles. I think it's, it's easy to get into the patterns Right. I'm sure in Texas it was completely normal to have like rib night or, you know, barbecue night. Like that was just natural. But there's other ways to do it with re replacement, you know, um, objects of food. There's different things that you can do. So it just opens up the, mm, the possibilities a little bit more. And I think, I think we all can just get out of <laughs> and travel a little bit more, get out of our own uh, our communities. Yeah. 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 And I, I like how, the moving back um, is also educational because it's the more places you've gone and the more, you know, back and forth that you have, you, you know, you go, I go back to Texas like I did actually last week. And I spoke at the fourth annual Corpus Christi veg fest, my hometown, and they're having a, you know, a veg fest now. And, um, and you see, well, oh, actually, there was some of this going on all this time, but I just wasn't on the right frequency. And then you go back to Northern California and you see, you know, that there's still rib night um, uh, down the street, but it's a different frequency. And the more you travel, in my experience, um, the more I've seen uh, both, uh, I think, the sweeping um, commonalities and generalizations, but then also some of the subtleties, uh, especially with uh, work uh, moving around the country and outside the country with my experience working in Latin America and Africa. Yeah. yeah I'm glad, I'm glad you, uh, you just touched upon your backstory a little bit. So you grew up in South Texas and, mm -hmm. uh, I believe you did your residency up in Santa Rosa. So, and it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you went up to Northern California, is that perhaps where things started to expand for you? Like lifestyle wise, as far as like, oh, well, wait, medicine is, can actually be this full spectrum picture. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Sure. That was uh, a, a big part of it, um, both initially with the move and to see different, uh, just different lifestyle amongst the people that were tied to the residency where I did my training. Mm -hmm. um, and then little by little after that, as I learned more from these people like Dr. Ornish and Dr. Clapper and Dr. Uh, McDougall and Dr. Gregor and all those folks. So when does your, when does your plant-based story come in here, your shift to plant-based eating? Yeah. Much more recently, um, a lot of my medical career, so let's see, I've been out of residency since 2007. Um, and a lot of my medical schooling and residency and medical career early on were working internationally. Um, and uh, my focus was on you know, p uh, kids and families with HIV, tuberculosis, malnutrition, malaria, that sort of a thing. And um, I think we did a pretty good job uh, treating those illnesses acutely. Um, but when I came back to the States and my, was starting my family and was uh, putting down some roots here, uh, I was reminded by how um, frustrating experience it can be to work in our system with trying to see a whole bunch of patients in a short amount of time and expecting to do more than just put a band-aid on and my hats off to the primary care uh, docs who can who do a good job with that with a you know a 15 minute visit which is often of course your face-to-face -face time is much less than that 
Um, and I struggled with that and um, uh, was also commuting, I still do, but less so now, but was also commuting uh, quite a while to get to my job, to see a whole bunch of patients a short amount of time and feel like maybe I wasn't uh, mm. making a big change in their life. And then when I heard about lifestyle medicine as a specialty and that, oh, wow, there's actually decades and decades of science, great scientific evidence that shows that by taking the harmful substances out of your daily life and putting the more of the healthful substances in your daily life, that you can make lasting change on a level that pills and procedures will, will never really do. Um, and, uh, so that's, that changed my, my vision for what I could do here in the United States. Um, and, uh, frankly, I guess around the world as well, since unfortunately these chronic illnesses are becoming more and more prevalent, even in the places where I was working at in, uh, internationally before. Um, and when did you, like, when did your shift to eating more plant-based, yeah. what was that moment? Was it a moment or was it a gradual shift? It was a series of moments. Um, the first was uh, in 2000 when I was in my last year of uh, university down in South Texas, close to the Texas-Mexico border. And it was just a random HBO special on uh, factory farms. And um, it was, uh, you know, I was whatever, I was probably uh, 20s. Uh, one or something at that age, 22, something. And um, I, had no, I, I had known nothing about that um, beforehand. And it was just amazing how uh, I had, you know, gone through four years of college and, you know, we all feel pretty educated and, and uh, smart at the end of uh, our, our years of study and feel like we sure, we don't know it all, but we know a whole lot. And then um, I saw that and I was like, wow, I had no idea that this is uh, what's been going on. And um, so that is when I stopped eating, um, uh, meats, but I kept eating, um, I guess well, for various reasons, but mostly because I figured, oh, it's not as bad, but I kept eating, uh, uh, cheese and dairy and all those other things. Um, and then, uh, when I, uh, years later, uh, so that was back in 2000, but then years later when I met my wife, which was in about 2013, um, and started eating with her, I realized how um, I was eating unhealthfully still, um, that uh, even though I was eating uh, more veggies and stuff that I did maybe when I was younger, um, you know, I still ate a bunch of stuff that wasn't good for, for my body and wasn't good for the planet, really. And she ate, uh, she eats a lot more um, uh, whole food, plant-based than, uh, than I was at the time, for sure. Um, and so, you know, I'd make my beans and she'd come by with two handfuls of chopped up, uh, kale and parsley and throw it in there. And, and, you know, <laughs> threw me for a loop at the beginning, um, but, uh, realized that it was actually good for me. And then, uh, and then I learned the science behind it and, and, you know, read, did the studying and, and, and realized that, uh, wow, this is, uh, this really is the way to go for health. Um, so how do you begin to integrate that into your, um, like your meetings or your sessions with patients? Because you're still in this model that's saying like, okay, you've got 15 minutes and you've got to commute and you've got to do all, do all that stuff. It's got to be really stressful. How do you begin to integrate that into your medicine? Yeah. 
Well, for one, I, I, I never really talked about um, being vegetarian for those uh, you know 15 so years uh, before I went more whole food plant-based because it was sort of like taboo, you know, yeah. uh, you don't talk really about politics or about religion or about, you know, you're eating, whether you're a vegetarian or whatever that, that was definitely considered taboo in my training. Um, and so I just thought, you know, this is just something I'm doing predominantly for the animals and for the environment. And, um, and, and that's where I was for a long time. But then the more and more I learned about the, the science about the health, I was just like, well, this is ridiculous that we're not talking about this. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk it I'm not going to share this with my pa patients to try to convince them to do it um, for some, I guess, personal political reason. If as much as I know that my decisions are are, are shaded by that or are, are influenced by that, but I really want to talk to them about it for their health because now that I have seen that, I can't unsee what I've seen about the um, the benefits of it. So now it, it's sort of like if you've learned about this amazing therapeutic uh, that has just come out that's been produced by the big by the pharmaceutical companies that's going to you know reverse your diabetes and clear up your arteries and prevent cancer and help you lose weight, like it would be malpractice not to talk about it. And so um, so now um, if I'm in a a, a busy session where uh, I, I I do. Uh, a lot of obstetrics care. And so sometimes you've got a whole bunch of things happening in a hurry and you've got uh, maybe a bunch of patients that you're seeing in a hurry. Um, you know, you get a quick feel for where that person is. Um, and maybe it's, and, and you try not to make assumptions, right? Cause, uh, you know, I could be in inner city, um, uh, Oakland area, um, with a patient who, you know, you have this bias that's part of society to say, oh, you know, she's never thought about veganism or whole food plant-based. And she's like, yeah, I've been, I did the whole food plant-based thing for a year and these are my challenges. And you're like, oh yeah, so it's a good thing not to assume these things. Um, so, but you see where they are in the, uh, uh, when it comes to their eating habits and you can, uh, you know, you can make short suggestions like, hey, you know, we, we, we're wrapping up our visit right now, but I, but I just saw a movie that you might like, and you should check out, you know, Forks Over Knives or The Game Changers or um, Fed Up or, you know, uh, various movies, kind of getting a feel for where they may be, uh, what might move them, what is their pivot point for change. Um, and it might just be, here, check out this website, check out this movie. I usually don't say read this book. That's quite a commitment for, for all of us <laughs> who are very busy. <laughs> Um, and then I try, and then I send myself a reminder, um, to say, check in with, you know, Gloria about, uh, whether or not she saw this movie. And it might be that I just send her a message later on my own time or while I'm in between patients or whatever. Um, but then other times when you're not in a big hurry, you've got, um, lots and lots of time to talk about these things. And so that's one of the beauties of my more current practices. I'm like, we're going to make 30 minutes the minimum amount of time that we're going to be face-to-face. -face. And that's going to let us to go a little bit deeper about these things. And uh, yesterday, I had this just kind of perfect day where I woke up. I had time to go for a run with my wife and our dog. And then um, it was a trail run. It was, you know, autumn. It's beautiful. And then I got back and I ate a great breakfast. And then I got on my bicycle and bicycled, uh, bicycled over to um, 
a, uh, a patient's house and we got to uh, chat in her kitchen and look in her uh, fridge and, and learn more about where she was and what she was working on and um, had an hour, over an hour with her. And like this was a, t- a very different type of medicine that I'm so lucky to be able to be getting into right now in addition to the telehealth visits through plant-based telehealth. What's the, what's the fulfillment factor? Or what's the fulfillment level in that versus what you were doing before? <laughs> Share. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's... Hmm. Uh, you know when you're at a... It's not it's not a great comparison, but you know when you're at a party and there uh, or a social gathering, whatever, and there's like twenty people that you haven't seen and you want to see, but there's not time to really talk to to anybody very much, and you feel I, I will often feel like, man, I have to say hi to this person, I have to say hi to this person, and you're and you and you and you touch on some things, and there's some growth in there, and there's some fun in there, but it's like these sort of superficial um, uh, conversations often. But then you go on a walk with one of those uh, old friends that you haven't seen for a while and you have an hour to talk about things and it gets so much more deep, uh, so much more real. Um, and uh, you see the change that can happen from that in that one encounter that you didn't quite get with 20 short encounters. And so um, that was, a, I guess that's a little bit of a, a comparison um, between yesterday's visit and in some of my busier days. And it's not to say that the other, like the busier days, of course, this is a reality that we're stuck in with our medical model that we uh, follow in the U.S. and in so many other countries where you got to see a whole bunch of patients to keep the lights on and the doors open and everyone making the salary that they feel like they deserve and all that kind of stuff. But um, I sure felt like it was more meaningful. (laughs) 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 What's... Is that the roadblock? Is that the if you can pinpoint it, um, it's just time. Do you think that if if you can if you can narrow things down? And I know that's you know there's a lot going on, but could you narrow it down to just lack of time available for each unique patient, each unique spirit? Hmm. So so sure, lack of time is crucial, but I don't know if it's. I don't know how much of it's this, oh, it's lack of time because all these people need to be seen. And so we just have to work, 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 work to get them all in. Or how much of it is just like, well, our reimbursement also happens to be per patient that we see, not how well, not how healthy we we help them stay. And there's reimbursement tied to procedures and there's reimbursement tied to um, to not so much to, to outcomes, but to just doing things. And, um, and that works really well for the companies that make the pills and that make the procedures. Um, and it's just, it's the model that we work in. And so by seeing, you know, four patients in a day instead of 14, that's 10 patients that didn't get to be seen at all. And, and they may be suffering. So there's that, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me because I didn't see them today, but you know, if you do a better job for those four patients, you might not need to see them as frequently and they're not going to have as many of the same illnesses or their illnesses are going to be better and they're going to skip the procedures. And, and so I'm not, a, I'm not able to, to work these algorithms uh, uh, completely, but, this, but theor, being theoretical about it, I think 
the needs will be met if we make the time about make the visit about quality and less about um, you know just seeing a whole bunch of patients in a small amount of time. Do you feel like, I mean, I do, but do you feel like we're going to be seeing more and more um, doctors, uh, healthcare professionals rising up um, like Dr. Marbus and um, creating plant-based telehealth? We have an athlete on our team who's a physician and she just opened her private practice and if if I'm not misspeaking, like isn't working with insurance companies, like really wants to care of, you know, help these patients heal. Do you feel like we're going to be seeing more and more of that? I mean, is, is there that, is that not just optimism, but a growing reality? Uh, I think there's objective data that yes, the numbers are increasing. Um, it is, uh, um, I keep talking about Dr. Ornish today, but he says it's a wave that lifestyle medicine is a wave that hasn't begun to crest yet. And I'm, uh, I'm actually sitting for my lifestyle medicine boards. I've been doing this based off the learning that I've done and, and, uh, uh, but now decided to go ahead and get boarded in it. And, um, I think there's just more and more people being boarded every year. It's a relatively new specialty, um, and the information is getting out there that, uh, this is a medical model that, um, is, is helps some people and helps a lot of people on the acute, uh, the, the current medical model helps people with acute illness. And thank goodness we've got stents for acute heart attacks and we've got clot busters for acute major strokes and, and all this kind of stuff. But we're, we're just not doing a great job with a lot of chronic health. And that's where lifestyle medicine comes in, um, in, in part. So we hopefully don't bankrupt our, uh, our entire um, economy, but uh, but of course, the, with the main goal of helping to keep people healthy, and uh, you you see so many people practicing more in this way now than uh, than years past, and um, it's becoming less of a uh, crazy thing to say that um, eating your vegetables will help you with your heart disease, um, and it doesn't have to be manufactured and put in a little bottle and cost you a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, that's true, right? Like sometimes it costs that much per month for oh, yeah. someone to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these cro- these chronic conditions are so expensive, and um, they're expensive when it comes to time lost from work and and early death and disability. And um, it's and, like it's talking about economic impact. Sorry to interrupt, but like, isn't that economic impact right there? But I just think that healthier, happier people. We're going to figure out the economy. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. If that whole yeah, we'll thing have... falls because everybody's healthier and happier, <laughs> I think we'll figure it out. That's like I've heard the argument. I love this argument. Well, if we stop eating animals, we're going to be like overrun Populated by, by animals. animals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watch out. The cows are in my <laughs> living room again. Ah, I wish I was still eating meat. Yeah. No. Uh, there, there's holes in, in, in all these arguments. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's good to debate them. Yeah. Good yeah. to talk about them. Um, so let's talk a little bit about lifestyle medicine. Like as I alluded to in the intro, like it's not just one thing. Like it's it's actually not just diet, right? Sure. And it's not just exercise. Like we see, and I think we've BJ and I have also lived this. Although we have always been healthy, quote unquote, doing the best we can with the information we have. There was definitely a time at the beginning of like our endurance sports career where it was like, well, we would ex. Okay, I'm gonna speak for myself. I would <laughs> exercise so I could eat, 
You know, like I can eat whatever I want. I can have French fries. I can have three beers. I can Ben and do Jerry's this. ice cream. Oh yeah, that was you. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm. Um, but now it's like you can't exercise yourself out of a bad diet. So it's it's everything. But I'd like to know the components of how you articulate lifestyle medicine. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. It is it, living a healthy life is not just about diet, though. Uh, it is one of the most important. Um, but the six pillars of lifestyle medicine that you'll hear as you talk to uh, your lifestyle medicine docs that come on your show, uh, eating a predominantly plant-based diet, if not exclusively, um, having daily movement um, with a goal of at least 150 minutes of aerobic exercise a week and uh, two days of strength training per week, which uh, something tells me you guys are making those 150 minutes. Yeah, um, we're, we're sliding we, into that. <laughs> <day. Yeah. laughs> That's right. That's right. While we're talking. Yeah. Um, um, but for, but for uh, you know, obviously for the, the majority of, uh, of America, that, is, uh, that sounds like in a very difficult goal to reach. And um, you, you will hear that uh, sitting is the new smoking. And uh, we have become a, a nation of people who, who sit and we're, I'm sitting right now as we talk. And I think this is an important conversation to have, but, uh, I'm not out, you know, um, lifting cows or anything right now at this point. So I'm not exercising at the moment, but, um, but you will, if you uh, keep eating vegetables that's right. and making people <laughs> vegan, <laughs> how many cows have you lifted today? Hun? Well, I'm on number five, so I've met my quota, but, um, so, so movement, uh, and Dan Buettner, uh, who's done so much amazing work with the blue zones, uh, reminds us that it should just be little nudges that are built into our life. If, uh, we have trouble, uh, convincing ourselves to put on the spandex and go in for a swim bike run, uh, we can at least make sure that we've parked further away from the grocery store entrance, you know, and, and, and these little things that, um, just add up. Um, and, um, and surely we could talk more about exercise, but I'll cover the rest of the pillars real quick. If it was diet and exercise, and then there's sleep, um, and um, that was something that was certainly not emphasized in my training. Just the importance of sleep, and not just how to diagnose obstructive sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome, which are, of course, uh, important conditions to be knowledgeable about, but knowing that your cortisol is is higher and your, and your sugars will be higher if you're not sleeping enough and your stress levels and your heart disease uh, risk are higher when you are sleeping poorly and sleeping not enough. Uh, so sleep is an important component and then there's stressing, um, anxiety, depression, and, and mental health in general. So having time for mindfulness and meditation. Um, and then the avoidance of harmful substances is the fifth pillar and uh, we can all agree that it's not good to smoke, and so working on 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 that, um, uh, there's a little bit of disagreement um, amongst uh, if there's such a thing as healthy alcohol. But in general, trying to minimize or avoid um, it completely, depending on where you are in that part of the debate. And then, lastly, having community, and that ties in with the love that we were talking about earlier, and mm -hmm. how we are social animals, and how hearing you. Uh, to talk about the benefits that you've had as you uh, work on your podcast and build your community and um, uh, how much you are motivated by the people you uh, work with and train with and yeah, many examples out there. Yeah. yeah, I think we're put into a major, major 
uh, blockage with everything that just happened over the past, you know, year, year and a half of like, no, 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 we're shutting down community. Um, and then we created a whole bunch of patterns, maybe not aware of the patterns that we created during that time. And now it's the community is opening back up and we're sort of still rolling in some patterns that we created and we're trying to get ourselves off of them. And I feel before all of this, the community was strong, like, you know, you had support and then we were shunned to our, you know, sentenced to our houses for a while in seclusion. And if you didn't have the tools or awareness to sort of work through that on your own, what would you do? You know, like, I think a lot of those pillars that you just talked about would be thrown out the window. It's just like, I'm just trying to get up and make it today and see if, you know, I, I, I have work today. Um, so all those factors together, I think, really, really paint a picture of um, a long-term lifestyle. So a lifestyle medicine is, is long-term. So in these, as you work with patients with these pillars, like we're telling them not, and I'm sure they're coming to you for a specific reason, but we're working with a short-term solution versus this long and let's call it boring, right? It's not mm. sexy, right? <laughs> You're telling me every day I have to exercise, every day I have to meditate, every day I have to have community, right? But for the long term, if these become our default, aren't we going to be aren't we going to be the support for the others in the community? Like aren't we going to be the example just by doing the things that over long term are going to help us not taking that short term um short term solution. Yeah. I think short-term, you know, a pill to get us to sleep better tonight um, can be can be helpful um, as we are working on our bigger goals. And um, it, but we just can't. This pill tonight or for the next couple of nights shouldn't turn into we need a pill every night for the next you know twenty years of our lives to sleep. But uh, so yes, it requires this sort of a uh, little. Uh, a little bit every day. I think that was actually a, a quote of yours, uh, Beach, <laughs> yeah. about uh, just a little bit, you know, every day, and it all adds up. and um, And we need we need motivation from others. Um, and then, before you know it, you end up being motivation for someone else uh, yourself. And it, I totally agree with what you're saying about the difficulty of this um, of this period with COVID. And um, you know. <clears throat> It is. It's been a uh, rough time, and it's been a time for both. Uh, gosh, I'm just going to sit and and uh, veg with Netflix and eat whatever and drink whatever. But then it's also been a period of um, introspection and in saying, well, it's also a, a great opportunity to work on these other uh, challenges that I've had in my life and try to come out stronger in some ways. Um, and uh, granted, everybody's story has been different. Different in it. I mean, I have a, I, I live in a part of the world that has pretty mild winters. Um, and you know, when we're not uh, choking on the smoke uh, from wildfires, um, it's a beautiful uh, place to be outside during COVID. I could work in my garden. I could play with my family and uh, do all these things. Whereas somebody cooped up in a little apartment in Ma in Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever didn't necessarily have the same opportunities. And so we all. And that's just one of many, obviously, differences. Um, but uh, as we're coming out of it, um, we have the time to look back and say, okay, how did I pass this time? What did I do well? 
what did, what can I do better? Um, and uh, now it's time to to keep looking forward as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good practice for <clears throat> every day. Mm-hmm. You know, like our our meditation teacher has us make these lists. Like I promise the universe list. Um, today I promise the universe that I will, you know, pay the credit card. I'll catch up on QuickBooks. I'll write the intro for Dr. Pierce's interview. And, and then at the end of the night, you look back on your promise the universe list and you say, okay, what did I do well? Uh, what did I miss? And the things that you miss go on the top of the list the next day, right? So I think that we can always be in feedback within ourselves, like, okay, and, and celebrating our victories too. I think it's so, we kind of are in the society that leans towards how far we have to go. Um, and there was a lot of people who, um, you know, a lot of people didn't fare very well over 2020, but a lot of people did. A lot of people woke up. A lot of people said, oh man, I gotta, this is it. This is my opportunity to go in. This is my opportunity to do less. This is my opportunity to, you know, clean up my act and get my health to a level where I'm feeling safer in my own body and my own immunity. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, well, not a little bit, I don't want to minimize it. I want to talk about your work with obstetrics, um, and working with, you know, women who are looking to get pregnant, women who are, um, changes that you've seen, uh, perhaps the, the power of this medicine on the successful, um, gestation of, you know, the cycle of life. It's pretty powerful. Um, it is. It's powerful also to see it from a, a light that uh, is from a point of view that's quite different from I think a lot of people in the medical community. Because when you say, "Oh, I'm vegan" or "I'm whole food, um, exclusively whole food plant based," the first thing that comes to most minds who trained in in our system is, "Okay, what are their deficiencies? Oh my goodness, uh, she's probably deficient in vitamin B12, and is she going to get enough protein mm-hmm. and?" Um, what is, what is the risk to this baby? Um, and, you know, from a, I think coming from a, a point of view of trying to prevent harm, you know, that those, those are good intentions. Um, but, uh, it's nice to have more, to have learned more, um, uh, about it since, uh, that introductory to the idea of, well, let's catch all the deficiencies that might be in there to really realizing that eating this way is, is better than that. It's not only as good as, but, uh, but better than, uh, eating and living the lives that so many of us live, um, uh, in the United States now. And so, um, there are great recommendations from, uh, national dietary groups that say a well-balanced, uh, you know, thought out, um, vegan, whole food plant-based diet are, um, are beneficial, healthy, just fine. And you don't need to worry about, um, you know, that your baby's going to come out, um, and be, you know, half of the size of a normal baby or something like that and never make it to, uh, you know, never make it to graduation from kindergarten. And, um, there are, uh, there, there are lots of mistakes that, that we all make, uh, in, in eating in, in the sense of, well, let's see, my best friend told me that I got to eat meat uh, at least a couple of times a day when I'm pregnant. And my other best friend said that, uh, you know, there might be too many pesticides in kale and chard. And so I'm going to avoid that. And, um, and so I think having a trusted medical provider, 
um, who's uh, been able to do some extra reading and, and learning and research in, in what whole food plant-based uh, means in pregnancy. Having good access to some good books, there's uh, the book called Nourish by Reshma Shah and Brenda Davis, uh, which has come out in the last year. It's a great look at healthy vegan pregnancies and childhood and uh, it's a great book for families who are uh, raising their kids in this way of life. Um, and, you know, there's so much information, good, reputable information from these um, authors available for free um, online, whatnot. Um, and so this is one of those things uh, where I said earlier that once you know some of the science behind it, you feel like, man, it's, it's almost malpractice not to talk about the benefits. And when you look at the effects that obesity, that um, eating a diet that's predominantly processed food have on a pregnancy, um, you know, seeing things like, oh, increased need for C-sections, increased um, need for vacuum deliveries uh, for babies that are not coming out correctly, increased risk for shoulder dystocias because you had um, diabetes and your baby's head was delivered but got stuck at the shoulders and then um, had, you know, tons of scary difficulty delivering the baby. Increased risk for heart uh, and uh, high blood pressure issues during pregnancy that are associated with a lot of the conditions that come along with eating a standard American diet and being inactive. And so it's, it's lovely to be able to bring this um, healthy, uh, pharmaceutical-free um, uh, healing and medicine to, to pregnancies. Mm. And do you get to follow through and see the vegan babies? Um, I, see, I usually see them for a, uh, uh, a post uh, partum visit because even though I'm a family doctor right now, I'm not doing uh, like newborn care per se, but you know, it's always a, a nice visit when a woman that you've been working with and say, you know, she, the v majority of my patients in my <clears throat> sort of uh, inner city underserved practice are not uh, vegan. I've had a, uh, I've had a handful that are, but then I've had a, a, a bunch who are trying some things that they wouldn't have tried otherwise. Um, moving more in that direction, and um, you know, it's a it's a work in a work in progress for all of us. But it's been great to be on that journey. And then you see them for their postpartum visit, and it's you know their babies come decked out in the coolest outfits, and the <laughs> carriage has just got the most beautiful unstained baby blanket on it, and uh, they're proud to show you uh, what uh, has been part of your part of our teamwork uh, for the last nine months. And that's a that's a special day. Is there any concern that an expecting mother or father, right, expecting parents should have around having a, and I'm going to make the discernment between vegan and plant-based, like having a whole food plant-based pregnancy and child, not just through the pregnancy, but raising that child with a, a whole food plant-based diet. Are there any concerns they need to be looking sure. at? Sure. So um, let's see. And I would refer uh, listeners who might be interested, in addition to the, the book Nourish, um, uh, there's also great uh, resources on, say, I think it's called Plant-Based Health Professionals UK is a great place to look at. They've got some nice little um, one-pagers, two-pagers with information. Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, Neil Barnard's group out of Washington, D.C. has some great little... Uh, one, two, three pagers uh, on this, and they and and these um, reputable resources, and of course the stuff that you can find on nutritionfacts.org with uh, Michael Greger's work, um, you can uh, you will have 
this at your fingertips and, and not worry about memorizing these things that we talk about today um, and be able to be in charge of your own health and your child's health. But, um, you know, you'll you'll add a little bit more uh, calories in second and third trimester per day. You add uh, a little bit more protein and um, you, uh, you make sure you're getting your iron. Of course, you make sure you're getting your folate, your folic acid um, uh, when you're in first trimester, when you're baby's neural tube, which is the brain and spinal um, cord, is being formed. Um, uh, you want to obviously make sure that you're getting uh, v- uh, vitamin B12 accurately uh, or in adequate amounts, and that's usually 1,000 micrograms twice a week is one way to do it, but you can also, there's, there's other ways to get your vitamin B12 in. Um, and it, it doesn't, um, it's, a, it's impressively straightforward and simple. Um, to, you know, add an extra half cup of black beans to your food today and, uh, you know, an extra handful of greens and maybe, uh, an extra, uh, tablespoon of peanut butter or something like that. So it's in general, it's amazingly simple and straightforward. There's some debatable stuff. I think there's debate amongst the, um, long chain omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and DHA that, some people get through eating fish or taking fish oil supplements, though we know that there's there's also there's certainly concerns about mercury and other persistent organopollutants um, with with fish that are higher on the food chain. And um, uh, humans can change the short chain omega threes that we get from eating chia seed, flaxseed, and hemp seed. Um, can make them into these longer omega-3s, EPA and DHA, which are important for the developing brain and retina of babies and our own uh, mental uh, wellness, um, brain health. Um, but we can make the these EPA and DHA from short-chain amino acids that we, uh, short-chain omega-3s, excuse me, that we eat. Mm-hmm. But um, pregnant women uh, can do it more efficiently than um, uh, men, for example. And so maybe it's not necessary to take an algae-based uh, DHA and EPA, EPA um, but maybe it is. And so this is an area of, a, of um, research, ongoing research, uh, some of the uh, people, some of the very smart people in the field say, ah, to be on the safe side, go ahead and take a little bit of EPA, DHA. And if you're vegan or, excuse me, if you're or whole food plant-based and you want to get it from a non-animal source, you get it from these algae-based supplements. So there's certainly some debate still in the best way to, to do this. But by and large, it's pretty simple, straightforward stuff. Eat plants um, and uh, a variety of them, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, and I think it helps. It, and I think it helps with the love factor too. I think like the better you feel, the better you feel. I think that plants. Um, you know, you mentioned a very California word, which I love, frequency. Um, you know, it's a higher frequency. Uh, you know, plant foods. So I think it helps with the it's love lighter. factor. It's lighter. It's you know, love. you feel. You don't feel as yeah. lethargic and yeah heavy like so cool. I, yeah i feel like it's super light but th- but sp- i don't know where you want to go but from speaking about food i know you have um have a garden and we are <laughs> we're it sounds like you actually have a house yeah. within a garden yeah it's like the garden is it and then you have this little place to sleep <laughs> that's what at it night. sounds like like your <laughs> house is in the middle of a it. garden but we have a commu- a community garden here. I don't even know how big the plot is. What do you what do you think it is? Our mm, plot, maybe like twenty by twenty by five, five yeah. feet. Just this little box, and we're struggling with that. So in San Diego, where you can grow, grow it, anything. anything, 
We know we can grow Swiss chard to the point where I haven't had Swiss chard in a year because it was like too much. It was over, yeah. Too much Swiss chard. So what do you have growing and how do you grow it? <laughs> well, first of all, well, we need cool to, to get there. how cool to hear that you guys garden. Yeah. What's that? How cool to hear that you guys are gardening. That's oh, nice. my God. Oh, I yeah. do love it. And you know what? I think that our if, if we have any fail in our gardening, it's... Because we're not there as we're frequently training. as we need to be there. <laughs> like I ride my bike by it, and I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta go to the garden because it's not. It's, it's in like our a mi- less community. than a mile. Yeah, it's there's no excuse. There's no, no excuse. excuse. So anyway, we want to hear about <laughs> the joys of gardening. <laughs> That's awesome. I see. I think I just thought of three quotes apropos to what you just said. One is. Um, let's see, you don't have to be good at gardening for gardening to be good for you. I like that one. Um, and so that's okay. You guys don't have to be, none of us are pros at this. Um, but there, there'll be benefit to have. Um, the second I thought of was that the best gardeners are the ones that have killed the most plants. Um, so we're experts. uh, You know, we've just been, yeah, (laughs) you're on your way. Um, we've, you know, we've just had more, more, uh, opportunities to get it wrong and have learned from our mistakes. Um, and, uh, so the longer you do it and the more mistakes you make, uh, the, the better you'll be. So stick with it, obviously. Um, and the last, uh, was, oh, the best, I guess the, the best pesticide or the best, um, way to control the bugs and other things in your garden is, is the gardener's shadow, which just means, yeah, you got to get out there and just look around and see what's going on to, uh, to be able to, to maximize it. So it does take a certain amount of commitment and being out there. And so when you're busy and I'm I'm kind of going through a busy period right now, um, it is both reassuring to know that the plants continue to grow without me being there, but it is also um, a challenge because when I do go out and I see that the tops of you know the majority of my purple beloved purple kale that I had just planted had been uh, taken off by uh, you know a rat. I'm almost positive. Uh, you know, I, I do realize that my absence has allowed some others to flourish. And for all of the rat lovers out there, they, you'll be quite happy that I'm feeding them uh, on a regular basis now. But, um, but it does involve uh, getting out there and, uh, and doing a little bit of work. And when you're busy, it's just I like tough. the farmer's shadow. I want, I'm going to get more shadow yeah. out there. Mm. Yeah, that's just Because yeah. we have, um, like, there's owls, there's rats, there's... There's something digging underneath. There's something going underneath. There's something coming from above. <laughs> it's like... And uh, I'm happy to share the garden. I'm happy. And it's funny how mm-hmm. sometimes they're like, no, I'm all set with the Swiss chard, but I love the cucumbers, you know? Or I love mm, the, the tomatoes. tomatoes where there's 8 million tomatoes, but they won't eat the tomatoes. <sighs> They'll eat, you know, the thing that we have, like, one little sprig of (laughs) (laughs) yeah could you please eat the chard for me because i'm tired of the chard for the moment i could put little signs out there but yeah yeah you get outside you you get uh you put your shadow on the on the garden you're soaking up the vitamin d in the meantime which is for people who don't get to go for a lot of runs and uh in in bikes and swim outdoors and stuff it's a great opportunity to get that vitamin D uh, soaked up. And you guys being in San Diego area um, uh, can get some good vitamin D from that sun most of the year, if not all year. Uh, it's a little bit harder the further, further away you get from the equator. Um, but uh, you asked uh, Beach what I'm growing. We're growing a whole lot of things right now. And um, 
Uh, maybe it's the shotgun method because I we grow a whole bunch of things and we don't feel all that bad when something doesn't flourish. And if that was the only thing we had grown and it didn't flourish, then that would be a bigger hit to us, you know, both mentally and if we were depending on it as our only source of calories, of course, it would be risky. And financially for those poor farmers that, you know, grow nothing but strawberries and there's a horrible strawberry blight this year, then, you know, that's that's one of the benefits of being uh, polycultural or of growing all sorts of uh, different things when you can. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, we do a whole lot of fruit trees and fruit bushes and, uh, uh, and freeze the surplus in parts of the year, um, when it's there and inhabit. So I put some wildly harvested blackberries from our, um, uh, ants property. Um, and that would have gone, that's a lot went to the birds obviously, but we got to put some in a big freezer bag and I put some on my oatmeal this morning, um, when you're starting to get out of season, but Anyway, the figs are going right now, and we're starting to put in stuff for the winter because we have, as long as you get stuff growing before it gets too cold and the day length gets too short, then you'll have some nice uh, brassica-related stuff um, to eat all winter. And, man, if you want to pick one food that's going to help keep you, your fire and your arteries down, it's eating things in the broccoli family. And so, you know, we can't grow the big head. We almost never grow these beautiful heads of broccoli or cauliflower um, that you see in the stores. Uh, we usually get things that are a little bit wimpier looking, but we get um, uh, enough of it because we've planted enough of our ground uh, with those families. So, you know, if if our broccoli doesn't do great, I can still eat the leaves. Um, and if a rat eats the uh, purple kale, then we still have some pak choy in, uh, in another, uh, bed uh, around the corner where he just hasn't gotten to yet. So why is broccoli, yeah, why is the going. broccoli family so good? Yeah. I mean, so on a biochemical level, there are these, uh, things called isothiocyanates, um, which have, uh, anti-cancer properties and, and, um, I don't know if it's that portion or other parts of the broccoli family stuff that's also good for your um, uh, heart health. Clearly, the the nit- nitrates being able to keep your um, blood vessels open, uh, as uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, uh, who's done so much work in cardiology, will remind us to try to eat greens as much as we can throughout the day to keep our blood vessels healthy. But, um, you know, a lot of these components of the of plants – are uh, are there to help keep the insects away, um, and they they're off-putting uh, uh, when a bug starts munching on it. But because of this interplay with the microbiome that covers the plant and what's inside of it, and our microbiome and our relationship with plants over the millennia, we eat them, and it doesn't make us sick. It makes us healthy. It's it's uh, you know I don't know if we we certainly don't fully understand uh, how that has evolved, but. Um, uh, that's, those are some of the things in the, in that group of foods. That is why we try to either put them in our cooking as we're making our curry or our beans or whatever, or we just chop them up and put them on top, uh, when we've reheated our stuff and just put a helping on top. Well, it sure sounds like we're meant to eat plants from that statement right. you just made. Um, <laughs> And as we wrap this up, I just uh, I'm noticing your sweet Patagonia plant-based telehealth sweatshirt. <laughs> love it. I love that you, they they sprung for the Patagonia. The you gotta go. Stuff. You gotta, gotta go, go for stuff. the good stuff. Um, 
What, how has your experience been working with them so far? I think you've been there what, about nine months or so. It sounds about right. I don't, uh, I can't recall the, the exact month right now, but, um, I came on maybe, uh, uh, maybe I was about the fourth, uh, in the team and there are, um, nine of us, uh, going to be 10, I believe before the uh, year wraps up. And, um, how nice to have a, a group of smart, compassionate docs that have, uh, experience in so many different, um, uh, parts of lifestyle medicine uh, that we can just just feel like we're part of a great team and we can bounce things off of each other and um, you know we can say oh uh, uh, this patient reached out I'd love to be able to work with them but I'm you know I'm not licensed in Wyoming but you are I'm going to uh, introduce you guys and uh, so it's great to be able to to have these opportunities like I said thirty or sixty minute visits. Um, where we can talk about uh, some changes that are not only going to really turn around that person's health, um, but also will be, you know, helping the environment. There, I, I don't get to. Yeah, I certainly don't uh, write a letter to my congressperson every day to say I want to. Um, I want you guys to focus on uh, making sure our earth doesn't burn up because of what we're doing. But by uh, eating the way I eat, and uh, but either way that we eat, and by um, being able to recommend these lifestyle changes to our um, to our patients, we're we're able to have an effect on helping out the planet one little bit um, every just about every day. And I find that is a total privilege to be able to to say that I do that. I'm really proud to be part of this group and um, thankful that I have this opportunity to uh, do something that has a far reach. And someone who, so someone who's listening to this, they're like, oh, this is my guy. Like, I need to, I need to talk to him. <laughs> I need to have a conversation. <laughs> it might be like two hours. How do, they, how do they start that process? Like, so they hear you and, and what's the next step? Sure. So um, plantbasedtelehealth.com is is an easy-to-navigate website, and it helps to uh, get you to the doc that you want to see. And it you have to be uh, – for me personally, I, uh, I have a license in uh, California, Texas, and Florida. Um, and uh, if, you, if you like what you're hearing me say, but you live in a, another one of those states, um, uh, you should feel comfortable that all – Everyone else on the team has pretty similar um, ways to approach things, um, and uh, yeah, just go to the website and uh, and schedule an appointment, and and we'll make it happen. It's so cool. I think that there's something that is going on behind the scenes there within the community of doctors that you guys have is this support system and really this like like this brain trust, right? Like you're all very, very brilliant people, um, a lot of experience, and you found your way to this place of, of health, which is um, not so much the consensus thinking, especially, you know, it's not the Western model, um, but it incorporates those things and it honors those things when they're appropriate. And I just think that there's something really powerful happening, like on those conference calls and behind the scenes that is going to 
benefit the collective greatly. So I'm really, I'm so grateful to Dr. Marbus for being on the show and then introducing us to all of you guys. So, you know, we're going to continue to bring you guys on and I don't know, this might be a lifelong thing. (laughs) It's like, as you keep adding people, we're like, we're already all set up for like the next year of interviews, but it's just, it's such an honor. So um, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to connect with you and certainly we'll let you know if we're up in that Santa Rosa area again. We love it up there. Please do. Thanks so much for helping us to spread the word. We're a relatively new organization, and uh, we really appreciate the opportunity as well to, to meet you guys and to meet the folks that uh, listen to your message. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.